Jesus is speaking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and a stranger, or excuse me, naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into ever, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and we did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Father, we are so grateful for your love and your mercy and your kindness that you called us out by name. Knowing how wicked we, were, we are, your grace still clothes us. Your love still embraces us. And help us, Lord, to serve you in all things big and small. Help us to serve you, Lord, in the presence of others or when we're alone. Bless this place, Lord. Bless this service and those who are here, may we hear with ears that you give us to hear the things you're saying, eyes to see the things you want to show us, and give us hearts, Lord, to do the things you would have us do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. Well, this event that we just read about with sheep. Sheeps, sheep and goats. Um, it's a real event. It's not just an it's not just a parable. Um, the the sheep and the goats are an analogy used in describing a real event, a real event that hasn't happened yet. Um, it's going to be like when a shepherd separates sheep and goats. We have Jesus separating the nations. People of the nations, when is this happening? Where is this happening? We've been going through end times. Jesus has been describing um, uh, the end things in answer to their question back in chapter 24, which was, you know, when are all these things going to happen? What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? What's going to be the sign of your coming? 
things that haven't happened yet. And so, uh, as Jesus has been going through, uh, now he gives them this description of an event. So when and where is this happening? In verse uh, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. If you recall, it's been a few weeks, but back in chapter 24, um, as it's going through the sequence of things, it describes the great tribulation, three and a half year tribulation is going to be nothing, li- nothing like it beforehand and nothing like it after. Um, and then it says right after that, the Son of Man's going to come in glory with His angels. And it's there where, where He's gathering His elect, not, not from earth, but His elect who have already been resurrected, really to come in battle. That, that time after the Great Tribulation is the day of the Lord time when Jesus is coming um, in battle and His army of saints with Him, but with His angels is an important connecting point there. And so this is the wind. The wind, Jesus is describing again the coming of the Son of Man in power and glory with his angels right after the tribulation. Um, And then in verse 32, uh, before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Gathered before him, all the nations. Um, Where is he gathering all the nations together? Uh, We see this also in the prophet Joel. Uh, Joel chapter 3. Let the nations stir themselves up. This is the time after Jesus has come, after he has destroyed the armies of the world. See, we have this uh, picture um, at the end there. After the tribulation, all the armies of the world arrayed against God together, and Christ comes. He destroys all of the armies of the world, and now we're gathering the nations. So it's let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Where's the valley of Jehoshaphat? It's not on the map anywhere, but if you follow what happens during the Great Tribulation, um, there are massive earthquakes. The, the lay of the land is not going to be the same, most likely, after that. What has also happened in Jerusalem uh, before this is that it says Christ is going to come and stand on the Mount of Olives. If you go just east of Jerusalem city there, it's the Mount of Olives, and he's going to split it in two. His people are going to be uh, in captivity there in Jerusalem and, and under terrible conditions. He's going to split that mountain open, and he's going to create a valley among the mountains, uh, and his, just like Israel crossed through the Red Sea, right, in escaping, they're going to cross through a mountain into a place that's valleys, maybe... That valley area, I don't know, but it's, but it's going to be a valley area most likely near Jerusalem based on other accounts, um, and the lay of the land could be much different then than what it is now. Now, the word Jehoshaphat means Yahweh judges. This is going to be the place where God is going to judge. He's going to separate 
the sheep from the goats. So when and where? When? It's right after the tribulation, after Christ comes in power, but before he's going to reign for a thousand years on earth. So this is kind of that transition period. Um, if we look at a picture that we, we developed when we were going through chapter 24, uh, we looked at that seven-year period, and this is what we pulled out of Matthew 24, um, is that just as in the days of Noah, right beforehand, um, there's going to be this time where people are just eating and drinking, going on with normal life, and then just like in the days of Noah where they enter the ark and the door is shut, you have the rapture. And just like in the days of Noah where there was a week between that time and the coming of flood, uh, they continue to not understand, but there's a week which we found Jesus pointing at, which was Daniel's seven-year week, uh, which is the time where it's, it's mostly about God turning the heart of Israel back to him, about what he's doing in Jerusalem. But in that second half of that time was the great tribulation described in, in Matthew chapter 24 um, and other places too. And then right after that is when it says, all right, now Jesus is going to come. And that's where we have the day of vengeance, where Christ is avenging what happened to the saints there. But also you have this day of the Lord. And in this 30 days and 45 days that we found there in Daniel, following that week, before what is from this point on, a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, there's a lot of stuff happening in here. So the where, the when, is right in here, right before we get into the thousand-year reign. This is what's happening uh, that, that Jesus is describing um, and the where is somewhere near Jerusalem in a valley. Actually, if we go back to Joel, it continues. Um, it's called the Valley of Jehoshaphat, but it's also called, uh, it continues, put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. More imagery that, that matches other places. Uh, keep going. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full, the vats overflow, for their evil is great. In the verse 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision, gathering the nations around. Um, and so then we get, let's go back into verse 32 in Matthew. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Obviously not literally sheep and goats, but he's using that analogy in the difference. So Jesus is here separating those who survived the great tribulation, the seven years. Um, the world's going to be much less in population by that time. There's one point if you're looking through Revelation and what happens where a fourth of the population is destroyed. There's another place where it says a third of the earth is destroyed. If I do destroy a fourth and destroy a third of that, then I've destroyed half, right? And I think there's probably a lot of other reducing aspects to the population of earth in there. And then when Jesus does come in judgment, it says he completely destroys all of the armies. 
whatever the population that we would say would be the world gathered against God in their armies, all of those are destroyed. And the amount of blood that it says as the result of that is, is crazy. So whoever's left of the nations at that point, Christ has returned and they are gathered before him and he is separating them as he does, as a shepherd would separate sheep and goats. Um, then the king, verse 34, will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom, we're going into the thousand year reign of Christ, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God's sovereign plan, God's preparation, our hope, our inheritance in Him, just because we've had faith in Him, nothing we've earned, but because when we put our faith in Him, He adopted us to be co-heirs with Christ. You don't earn an inheritance. You're given an inheritance, right? And so we'll see the beginning of an inheritance as we step into that time. That's, so that's the sheep on the right. And then what he says to the goats on the left, if I go down uh, to verse 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me. So on the right he said, come. Those on the left, depart. On the right, he said, you who are blessed. On the left, he says, you cursed. To the right, he said, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the left, he says, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When I was studying through this, I'm going, wait a second, as, as you're trying to just match when something is to other events that you recognize in Scripture, um, there's a judgment that comes after the thousand years, a great white throne judgment, and that's where uh, is the final deciding point where those uh, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life uh, will, be, uh, will not be judged, but everyone else will be judged by their works and will be thrown into the lake of fire. Wait, wait is this after the thousand years? Um, but notice, then he will say, again in verse 41, he say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. When we get to the great white throne, the devil and his angels will already actually be, the devil will already be in that lake of fire. At this point, it's prepared for him. And actually, there has already been a couple of people thrown into the lake of fire at this point that we're at here um, before going into the thousand-year reign. Um, we see that in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 shows uh, the gathering of armies that are the saints, those who have already been raptured, coming with Christ and going in war um, and uh, going against the Antichrist and the nations um, 
And so it says, and I saw the beast. The beast is the Antichrist, uh, is a person. Uh, the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is sitting on the horse and against his army. That's Christ sitting on the horse. That's uh, the raptured saints who are his army, right? And we continue on. And the beast, that is the Antichrist, was captured. And with it, the false prophet, the one who would go along with the beast and convince everybody to worship the beast, right? Who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So right before we get to this judgment of Jesus of separating the nations that have survived, you've already had two people thrown alive into the lake of fire. I think that's basically what's about to happen. With everyone who's there, who is not the Lord's, right? This is, this is the end for them. There's no more hope. Right now, we have incredible grace as God extends the time, gives us more time to turn to Him. But there's going to be a time like for, at this point for all of those of the nations. Even during the tribulation, there was an opportunity, but a very difficult one, to refuse to worship the beast. That's the sheep. The ones who refuse to worship the beast. And so he says, those on his left will be thrown into the lake of fire. We've also seen this same time described when Jesus was going through the parable of the wheat that had weeds among it, right? Uh, where it's just describing the world um, where there's... Those who are the Lord's right alongside those who aren't. And he's saying, hold off, we're not going to root up the weeds because we don't want to accidentally pull up those that aren't weeds. Um, and so at, when, when Jesus is describing the meaning of that parable to his um, disciples, we see that in Matthew chapter 13. He says, describing that parable, the field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, that would be the sheep in, this, in, in what we're talking about. Uh, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, that would be the goats. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. That's what the di disciples were asking Jesus, what's the sign of the end of the age, right? And so that's what we've been talking about. The harvest there is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. He's describing all the different parts. And then in verse 40, just as the weeds, the goats, are gathered and burned with fire. Literally, this is what's happening. The, the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Um, and then verse 41, the Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So Jesus is doing the separating of sheep and goats with the angels. And you just picture this. I don't know. Is it going to be two billion people? 
Is it going to be one billion? Is it going to be less than a billion? I don't know how many people are going to be there, maybe even more. But the angels of God actually separating people. And what is it that they're accomplishing? What is it that Christ is accomplishing at this point, about to go into his kingdom? Bring that verse up again. Uh, in verse 40, uh, 41. They're gathering out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. We, it, it seems like even more than ever before, we want, we, we see the brokenness of our world and, and there's a cry for justice, right? Make things right. And, and, and it seems like the more we cry for justice, the more broken it is. Justice doesn't res result in peace in the world around us. Right? It's because justice, to truly be effective, has to be based on what is true and what is right. In God, we have what is true and what is right. What we see happening here is what we've been wanting. And it's terrible to behold because of the seriousness of it. It's also amazing to behold because we realize that part of what's not right <laughs> is in us. And it's only by His grace that there are sheep at all. This kingdom, here's the first point. If you have notes, uh, we've got some fill-ins to try to capture some of the main points. The first fill-in in the notes, this kingdom, this is a kingdom of righteousness. The kingdom of Christ, it's a kingdom of righteousness. Going into the millennium, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth, there will be no unrighteousness. There will be no injustice. Think about that. There will be peace for the first time. You know, Miss America pageant, don't they always say, I want world peace? That's the, the thing to say. That's not going to happen until God is the one who makes things truly right, who brings true justice, right? His rule and reign will be one where there truly is peace in the world. There will not be war. It's amazing going into the seven-year period of time we looked at, the rapture at the, at the front end of that. When that rapture happens, for the first time in the world, there will not be a single person who confesses Jesus as Lord. The Spirit of God will be absent uh, in a manifest um, presence of a person in this world. Can you imagine the world without the presence of God among His people? But then at the end of that, now going into the thousand-year reign, there will not be a single person in this world who does not confess Jesus as Lord. It's going to be completely opposite. And it will be a kingdom of righteousness. Now, 
During that thousand years, Jesus is revert, it says he's effectively reversing the curse that is on this world to die at 100 years old for any of those people will be uh, considered to die young and most likely because of rebellion against the Lord. So there's still the possibility of sin during that time. And those people will have kids. Um, when God created the world, he said, be fruitful. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then they didn't really. They just became super evil. And so God destroyed the world by flood. And what did he tell Noah and his family? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. <laughs> that was his plan. And they all got together and just hung out in one spot, right? And built a big tower. And so he Confuse their languages. Get out of there. Go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. We still haven't fulfilled that yet. But I think what we're going to see happen in those thousand years when there is virtually no death, right? The, the curse is reversed. And for those who follow the Lord, I think they're going to live that whole thousand years. Well, they're going to have kids. And their kids are going to have kids. And for the first time, we will be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. When it describes the very end of that thousand years where Satan is let loose again and he deceives the nations and the nations come against, uh, the, against Jerusalem, against the Lord, um, it says their numbers are innumerable. So they have multiplied. Every child has a choice to follow the Lord or not. Right? And so... What we'll see is this world where, yes, you can still sin, but Jesus is the one in charge. I can't imagine what that's going to be like. The Lord knows your thoughts. He knows the thoughts of every single person. It's hard to be a crook in a world where the king knows your thoughts. But that's what we're going to have. In Zechariah 14, it describes this. Um, what it's going to be like in this time. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall, you know, you have just the sheep going into the thousand-year reign, but then growing, you'll have all the nations of the world. Uh, they should go, go up. Uh, being the Lord of hosts and to keep the feasts of booze. I can't imagine, I can't wait. To worship the king. Celebrating that feast um, in that country. have a choice. Sin will still be there. They can rebel against God. But what will happen to them? If they don't go up against Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord are hosts. There will be no rain on them. See, they're, they're disobeying the Lord who can control the weather. He can do, and, and there's more that goes on. But that's the environment that will be there. Jesus will reign. And there will be glory for those who love him and serve him. Um, but it will be an environment of righteousness, of justice. Right now, in justice, God is patient with it. The day of vengeance is when things will be made right. Right? And so, as you suffer... Injustly, trust the Lord. Lord, vengeance belongs to you. We don't need to enact justice to, to claim vengeance. We need to follow our Lord and love as he would have us love.
So who's going to be there in the millennium? That's a question that sometimes people will ask. Well, you have people that are in glorified, resurrected bodies and people who aren't, right? You have everyone who was raptured going into the millennium. You have actually the book of Revelation um, uh, describes, uh, after, it, after it talks about um, that time in, in chapter 19, it goes more in talking about actually those who were martyred during the tribulation will be resurrected right before the thousand-year reign so that they can also be a part of it, right? They'll be in glorified bodies. So you have the raptured church in glorified bodies. You have those who are martyred during the tribulation in glorified bodies. And then you have all of the survivors of the tribulation who were not martyred but endured that time. And they did not worship the beast. They did not take the mark. That's part of worshiping the beast. They won't be in glorified bodies. They'll be the sheep from this passage. They'll be going in. None of the goats will be going in. Right? They'll be thrown into the fire. That's who's going to be there. Um, when, when, you know, I've weighed through, there's a different perspectives on what's going to happen at the end times. And one of the questions is, is the rapture happen at the beginning of the seven years or at the end of the seven years? And one of the major reasons that I've come to believe, no, it, it really can't happen at the end of the seven years is there would be no sheep. If everyone who believes in Christ is resurrected at the end of the seven years, there's no sheep for this gathering in the valley of decision. Those sheep are those who through the seven years refuse to worship the beast. Um, and otherwise you just have a bunch of resurrected um, and, and then once all the goats are gone, there's nobody left. So I don't think it works for the resurrection to happen at the end of the seven years um, based on uh, especially this event right here. So now we see Jesus is gathering all the nations there at that time. Um, it says, just as a shepherd would separate sheep and goats, separating the people. If you've ever hung around sheep and goats, uh, they might seem similar, but they're actually characteristically different, right? There are some things that they look different, but they also act different. Their behaviors are different. Um, now, I don't think that Jesus is using this analogy for us to go into each of the differences of their character to say, okay, here's the differences, but he shows us the difference in character. What is the difference in character of those on his left and those on his right? In verse 33, um, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, here's what characterizes the sheep. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked 
and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Who are the least of these my brothers? Now, some view this as speaking of Israel. Um, I don't think it is. I think in that context, he's, he's really, I and mean, he's just saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these my brothers, it's those on his right. Um, this is very similar. You can compare it to chapter 18 when we went through there, and he's saying, and they're, they're all, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And he's like, of the total, the least. As you look around you, okay, who's the better believer? Who's the better Christian? Oh, David's a pastor. He must be up here. Uh-uh. The, the economy of the kingdom flips it over. Who is the least will be the greatest, right? And so Jesus says, as, the, as you do to the least of the sheep, the one that you count the least significant, the one that you get nothing out of it to, to care for them, you have done it to me. Here's the second point in the notes. When we're looking at the characteristic of the sheep, the shepherd is in the sheep. That's true today as well. The Lord is in you. The Lord is in me. How do you see each other? This is vitally important. When your brother or sister in Christ is annoying you, how do you see them? When they're doing the wrong thing, when their theology is wrong, here's the most important question. Is the shepherd in that sheep? Then there is a glory to loving that person. Because I'm not just loving that person. There's a glory to taking care of that person's needs. There's a glory to, to giving of yourself to that person, to, to taking what's yours, and rather than using it for yourself, blessing that person with it. Because what are you doing? You're blessing the Lord. What a privilege. If I could just see it that way all the time, then it, would, it, would, it wouldn't, wouldn't be a burden to help my brother or sister ever. It would be a privilege. There'd be a glory to it, and I would know that there's going to be a day when Jesus is going to recognize that. Consider what was happening. So these are sheep <laughs> that became sheep after the resurrection, after the, the rapture. So they did not turn to Christ yet. It's just like those after Noah's Ark, the you know, Noah's Ark family go in, the door's shut. It's too late. You can't be a part of that party, right? The wedding feast that's going to happen there, all of that, that's, it's too late for that. But then they realize, maybe when their loved one was raptured, oh, it's real. And they decide that it's better to follow the Lord. What were the conditions 
through the great tribulation. Awful. Look in Revelation chapter 13. I think I got my notes here. Describing that great tribulation, the three and a half years at the end of the, the second half of the seven years. It says, in the beast, that's the Antichrist, Early, just before this, it's saying how Satan basically empowers the beast, but, it's, but we're going to find that it's God who allows the beast then to exercise his authority. But the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It's three and a half years. It's the second half of seven years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. So we have a world leader, ruler. We, we think about how things are shaping up to be a one, you know, that it would make sense to have one world government. All right, we're going to just fix all this. And, and, it, and this is a man who loves war. Oh, it's described in Daniel. And so he's going to be allowed to have authority over every nation, meaning he is the thing. And, then the, and the world is going to think he's the greatest thing. The world's going to worship him. But he's going to be given authority by God to declare war on anyone who will not worship him, to declare war on the saints. So all these sheep, you know what they've come through? The most terrible tribulation, distress, suffering, many, many martyrs, countless martyrs through this time. Um, it continues, um, given authority, uh, um, and all, uh, given, sorry, verse 7, also was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. God's sovereignty is in, in view here that God has already chosen and known those sheep uh, ahead of time from the foundation of the world. He's already written their names down. Just as you and I, uh, even as we're trying to see what, what, who is God, who is this Jesus, it says that those are, who are His will hear His voice and know, oh, that's my shepherd. If you start to sense that you're turning, you hear the voice of God, you're hearing about Jesus and you're going, there's something in me that's going, that's something I want. That, that's described in John chapter 10. That's the shepherd's voice and the sheep know their shepherd and they turn and respond to him. The sovereignty of God is in view as well in what's going on here. And then it says in verse 9, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And here's the conditions for the sheep during the tribulation. And this also has God's sovereignty in view. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, 
with the sword, he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. If it's for you to be slain, be slain. If it's for you just to be captured, captured. What would it mean during that time to harbor a saint? To provide food. You, you can't, you're not supposed to be able to buy and eat without the mark of the beast, which means unless you, you worship the beast, you're not going to be allowed food. What would it mean in that kind of a situation to feed someone who is not worshiping the beast? To visit them while they're in prison. You realize you're putting your own life on the line. The characteristic of sheep is to risk their own life for each other. <laughs> there's been times, not like what that tribulation is going to be, but there's been times even now around the world where that is the case. To love a brother or sister in Christ could mean your life. But they do it anyway. In the midst of the, the darkest tribulation, the darkest suffering is when you start to see who are truly sheep. Because a characteristic of sheep is that love that's the same love that they received from the shepherd because the shepherd is in them. And it's not, we have to be clear, this is not love that's based on emotion or what feels good or what's going to... Um, make me feel better about myself. There's different kinds of love. This is agape love. This is the love of Christ. The agape love is a choice love. It's a preference love. It's a love that says, here's, I'm deciding that at cost to myself, I am going to bless you, even if I don't feel like, even if you're my enemy. It's a love that can do that. That's the love that Christ showed towards us. And, and that love is within the sheep. Here's the third point. The sheep are characterized by agape. And that comes out most strongly in the midst of persecution and suffering. Love for each other. It's a glory to love others who have Christ in them because I am actually loving Christ. Jesus is saying, when you make those sacrifices for your brother or sister, you're making those sacrifices for me. He recognizes it. Sheep are characterized by agape. It's a love that chooses to act or to favor someone regardless of risk to yourself, cost to yourself. Jesus said in John chapter 13, by this all people will know that you are my sheep, my disciples. If you have love for one another, Agape, that's the word there. Agape, if you have agape for one another. That's how they're going to know you belong to me. John, you can come on up. I want to take a moment just to respond to the Lord.
in prayer on these things that we've been reading this morning. At the very beginning of this, in verse 31, it said, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, when Jesus comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And as we just consider, Jesus is worthy of that throne. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has true righteousness. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus humbled himself in order that we might be saved through him. So let's just bow our heads and just for a moment, just pray. This is a prayer of worship. And just pray like this. Say, Jesus, you are worthy to be king because, and fill in the blank. Jesus, you are worthy to be king because, and just in your own prayer, just express to Jesus why he is worthy. Jesus, you are the lamb who was slain. You gave your life for the sheep. You're the shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep so that we might have life and have it abundantly. You are worthy. There is none other. You are the one who came and was sinless, who had zero guilt, and yet you took our guilt upon yourself so that, so that our guilt would be paid for on the cross so that through faith in you, Lord Jesus, we might be saved. God, you are worthy to be called king, to rule. In verse 34, it said, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Consider that kingdom that he's prepared for us from the foundation of the world, the blessings and the joy of what it's going to be there to live in righteousness and justice and compare that to the things that this world has to offer right now. Those things that we're working so hard to gain in this life right now, compare what we will have in that kingdom to what so little inconsequential that we have now. And here's this prayer. Let's just use this as worship to the Lord again. Jesus, what you have prepared for us is greater than, and just fill in the blank. Just confess. What he has prepared for us is so much greater than those things. What is it that, that captures your heart? Jesus, I, I like the comforts of this world. I like to feel like I know that tomorrow's going to be covered by my own resources.
God, I like to be able to have physical strength, to have financial security. But God, what you have prepared for me, what you have prepared for everyone who calls you Lord is so much greater than these things. God, don't let me get caught up in them. Pursuing them and forgetting that I need to pursue you, to follow you, to enjoy the life that I have in you, to, to actually be useful for you in this life so that more might be saved, more might be among the sheep, more might be in glorified bodies through your reign. God, this stuff that we have in front of us in this world sure seems great, but it's nothing compared to what your plans are. Now finally in verse 40, it says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now maybe there's somebody in your life right now that might be difficult to love right now, but they're a follower of Jesus. So here's our prayer, just response to the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do to love and the fill in the blank? Who is it? Just ask the Lord to help you in that. Lord, what would you have me do to love this person? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we don't live according to our own ways don't have to. In fact, we're not supposed to. But we can live according to your ways that you've set out ahead of time. Ways that are full of glory, that, that result in eternal reward. And God, some of those ways are how we love each other. And Lord, I just pray that you guide us in that. And give us the, the faith to trust you and the results of whatever it is you would have us do to love our brothers and sisters when in fact we're loving you in doing that. Lord Jesus, what a great grace we live in. You did come to give us life, to give it abundantly. And we have that now. We have eternal life in you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. has the power to raise the dead who can save us from our sin he is our hope our righteousness Jesus only Jesus and who can make the blind to see who holds the keys that set us free he paid it all to bring us peace jesus only jesus holy king almighty lord saints and Angels all adore, I join with 
them and bow before Jesus, holy Jesus. Who can command the highest praise? And who has the name above all names? You stand alone and I stand amazed. Jesus, holy Jesus. Holy King, almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore. I join with them and bow before Jesus, holy Jesus. command the highest praise yours is the name above all names you stand alone and I stand amazed Jesus holy Jesus Jesus holy Jesus command the highest praise yours is the name above all names oh you stand alone and i stand amazed jesus holy jesus jesus holy jesus holy King Almighty Lord, saints and angels all adore, I join with them and bow before Jesus, only Jesus. We look forward to a kingdom here on earth when Jesus will reign in righteousness and justice. It'll be a kingdom of peace and joy. But you know the kingdom of heaven already exists. It exists in the hearts of every person who confesses him as Lord. And the peace of God, the righteousness of God reigns in the lives of those who are his. Praise God for that. We can live right now in his kingdom, for his kingdom finding more who don't know him and introducing them to the love of Christ who would save them from their sins. I love you, church. Go in the Lord today. And don't forget, baptisms at the Bazochis. Come hang out with us. We'll be hanging out starting around 1.30, um, and then baptisms will probably happen at about 2. Um, and if you have questions about being